parents and educators. Frustrated with traditional education? I was. My name is Michelle Person and I am a master educator with over 20 years of experience in the field. Rewoke, Rewriting Our Kids Education podcast is an opportunity for me to share what I have learned with you. Join me each week as we discuss a different aspect of education and find ways to make learning engaging and culturally relevant for our kids. Rewoke is available on all popular podcast platforms. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Real Reading Talk. I am your most gracious host, Miss Sasha. And with Real Reading Talk, I discuss the real systemic issues that are at the very core, the very foundation as to why there are low levels of literacy in the Black community and the ways in which we can combat these issues together. I thank you all for joining me, and I hope that you stay tuned because I got some great jewels and nuggets to drop for you all for this episode 17, y'all, season two. All right. Thank you for my newbies for joining me. I appreciate you so much. And thank you for my old heads for continuously rocking with me as well. All right. So let's get ready to get started. Peace, everyone. All right. I am so grateful that you all are joining me for this season two, episode 17 of Real Reading Talk. And I'm about to go ahead and get it on and popping. How's y'all Black History Month doing? Y'all know we are coming towards the end of the shortest month of the year, Black History Month. And y'all know I'm just, you know, uh, I'm just playing with y'all because y'all know Black History is 365. Black History is every day. All right. So please, y'all don't don't stop for my educators out there who are listening. Please don't say, oh, my goodness, it's February 28th. Um, that we cannot no longer talk about black folks. As a matter of fact, be intentional about talking about black folks and black history, black culture, black experiences, even more so. All right. Make, make your education about black people and black history go up exponentially when you're educating those babies because they need it. Damn that critical race theory stuff that they talking about. We don't want y'all to be talking about critical race theory and, you know, folks trying to threaten people's jobs and all of that type of stuff. I'm telling y'all, we have to have the mindset of liberation. We got to think like how our ancestors thought who were on them slave plantations who said, I'm getting out of here. We got to have that Harriet Tubman mindset when we in these classrooms. I would love to see the day where we make a mass exodus out of this school system. I really would because I believe that the signs are the, all there. They've been there. That's why you have a lot of black people who are opting to homeschool their children. They're like, damn that. I'm not about to keep sitting up there having my child be in these classrooms, these hostile environments. And then now they're talking about regulating even more so what our children are going to be learning. It's not like they just started this. This whole thing with them just starting this in terms of what our children should be learning. Please, that's been happening. All right. And really, for real, for real, which leads me into what I wanted to uh, mention. I wanted to drop this uh, little black history uh, tidbit uh, from uh, for you guys that I was reading. This is something that I had never knew about. And again, this is dealing with education. So, you know, making my little segues. I've been reading the book, Why We Can't Wait. 
And this is written by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And so in this book, you know, he talks about their nonviolent tactics. Um, he focuses on uh, when he went into uh, Birmingham, Alabama, and he was, you know, asked to come in by Fred Shuttlesworth uh, to come in there because um, especially, too, during that time they were uh, dealing with even though the Brown v. Board of Education law was in place, it still was not being enforced. And especially in places like Birmingham, Alabama, they used to call it Bombingham. OK, for those of you who are, you know, I'm quite sure y'all know, you know, that uh, uh, in Alabama was where obviously uh, the four black girls, unfortunately, you know, were murdered uh, by racist cowards. Remember, they were cowards, you know, blowing up that church. OK, you know, that's that's cowardly as hell, man. That is just sick. It just remind me of that that other coward who went into that church. Uh, I don't really want to say his name. I'm saying his name for the purposes of just, you know, remembering the facts. Uh, Dylan Roof or whatever. And when he did that sickness. So remember, they tactics, a devil's tactics doesn't change. OK, and when I say devils, I'm talking about people who are acting devilish. So don't, you know, please don't misquote me and think I'm saying that all white people are devils. No, I don't speak that rhetoric. Uh, but what I do do is I call a spade a spade. So when I see or when I hear or when I read about people doing sick, devilish things to people, I'm going to call them as they are. So with that being said, um, after the Supreme Court decision, the 1954 the Supreme Court decision, the Brown v. versus Board of Education, they had actually uh, enacted a law called the Pupil Placement Law. The Pupil Placement Law was a law that permitted the states themselves to determine where school children might be placed by virtue of family background, special ability, and other subjective criteria. Okay, now this is something that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was pointing out. You know, he was mapping out strategically. That's one of the things I, I really appreciate about this book. He was really mapping out strategically how, you know, even still they claim that, oh, yes, you know, we, we're going to get rid of segregation or we're going to, you know, enact these laws. But then how they'll do some I'm white and I say so law addendum attached to it like this law here. So what it pretty much was saying is that, oh, yeah, sure, you're a black child. You, they can go to this school. Um, what a, as long as they can afford to go to this school, okay? You know, we have to check your family background and make sure that you come from an upstanding home, all right? And so, of course, you got to go by whatever criteria that they have set in place. And then, of course, you know, if your child is, you know, has special abilities, you know, if they, you know, can, if they have a 3.5 GPA, then yeah, sure, they can get in. Okay. So these are things in which they enacted because that was a way to once again say that, oh, it's not that we did not say that you couldn't come in. It's just that you have to be able to fulfill these criterias. And if you don't, sorry, you're not going to be able to come in. So once again, excuse me, segregation is being enacted. All right. That, does that sound familiar, though, y'all? Don't that sound familiar? You know, think about it. Even at, during the uh, when after the Brown v. 
versus Board of Education, that's when you had really an uptick of white families. They started those private schools. So that's when they're like, oh, no, I'm not going to be around these niggers. Oh, hecky no. You know, so then they went on and created their own little private schools. So again, and that's what we see today. We see that across this country. A lot of those private schools that a lot, unfortunately, that some, not I ain't going to say a lot, that some of our black families feel like, oh, wow. You know, like here in Cleveland, we have uh, some schools. One of them is called Hawkin, another one, Hathaway Brown and and uh, university. So there's some other, uh, you know, private schools or whatever. But you'll have folks begging to get in. All right. They'll be sitting up there trying to get into these schools because that whole notion of proximity that that closeness to whiteness is going to make you successful and that was the downfall actually that was one of the downfalls with the whole desegregation with the whole integration of schools because our uh, ancestors and it wasn't all of them it was some though they did not really articulate and and really make it clear that no when we talking about integration we're talking about having those resources that you all have stolen because rest what y'all did. Y'all stole from our people and you all use them for your people and your children and your homes and your schools. We need those resources because quite frankly, before integration, our black children were being uplifted. They had that self-confidence. They had that love and that nurturing from the community. They were empowered. Believe that. It wasn't no puzzle. They like, oh, bet. You know what I'm saying? We, we got our kids. But the, of course, again, you don't want to keep having dilapidated buildings. You don't want to have a school building where the roof is leaking and you got your the books. They they all you getting the hand me down books from those uh, white schools. And then some of those books they sitting up there writing in there. They knew this, those books were going to be going to those black schools. So they'll put in their derogatory names or whatever the case may be. Just doing all kind of, again, devilish stuff. But I just wanted to share that with you all, uh, because what we got to understand is when we are in a system of tyranny, because that's what we are in. We're in a system of constant oppression. We have to eradicate the system. You can they can put all the laws up all they want, just like what I just shared with you all just now. There was there is a law in the books, Brown v. versus uh, Board of Education. But then they go and put the pupil placement law. So it's like, yeah, yeah, we got to have this law, but um, yeah, but if you really, really don't want to be next to them niggas, you know what I'm saying? We're going to have this over here, you know, so we're going to create this little bubble. And if some are able to get in, they can. And then the unfortunate thing, that's my last point on this. And then I'm going to go into the read aloud tips that I talked about that I said I want to talk about in this episode is that our black folks, you know, you got to be careful when you are begging to get in places where people hate your guts. Because a lot of our children, our black kids who go to those private schools, they deal with a lot, a lot of psychological damage. They're going there, they're getting, you know, uh, left out. And then they're also too, a lot of times, especially now, they'll have these things where, um, and I'm quite, you know, they have them all over to where if you can actually get like vouchers, okay, you can get some type of assistance if you can't afford that high uh, uh, private school tuition. So that's a lot of the ways in which they'll allow, you know, some black children into these schools. 
So then they already and, 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 and trust and believe they know this. Those families of those kids, they know that. They know a lot of those kids were going to those schools and the parents are getting some type of assistance. And so do you think that, you know, those children, do you think that basically that they're not going to uh, get, you know, ostracized for that, ridiculed for that, or get treated like that token black kid? Yes, that's what happens. Just like it reminded me of when Muhammad Ali said he was with someone and um, and and they were going stopping somewhere to go get something to eat. And so the place basically was like, yeah, we don't serve niggas, <laughs> you know, and then Muhammad Ali, like, OK, you know, I, I, I know he said that in two different occasions. I know he said something funny one time. He was like, that's all right, because I don't eat. Them. I don't eat them, you know. So but anyway, but or it was at a gas station because I think it was two separate times where. He was talking about a particular incident where this happened, where white folks had said they don't serve, you know, black folks. And so somebody that he was with was trying to, man, you know, no, we need to protest or we need to go up in there. And he basically made a great point. He was like, first of all, why would you want to go somewhere and eat where somebody just literally looked at you like they want to kill you and they hate your guts? What do you think they're going to do to your food? They're going to spit in your food. Oh, conveniently drop it on the floor. Oops, my bad. It's some kind of way end up in the garbage. Take it out of the garbage. They'll wipe the visible dirt off and then serve it to you. This is what you will be dealing with. So why would you try to go somewhere and force yourself upon people that don't want you? And that's the mindset that we got to understand. Man, we got to get rid of that mindset. We keep trying to push ourselves in these spaces with these white folks who hate our guts. We keep trying to push our children into this school system where we know the school system was not built for our children. Period. Not to thrive. Let me say this. No, it was built for them. It was built for them in a way to serve this white supremacist capitalist system. Period. And so you have to understand that. You're like, if you don't know that by now, I'm just going to tell you, I feel sorry for you. You're going to have to literally educate yourself. And that's why, again, real reading talk, that's why I'm a proponent of making sure that we are getting books that represent black people, black culture, black experiences and black empowerment. We need to learn the history of our people who fought back. And yes, you could fight back through. Yes, our people fought back through marching, through voting. But if you are doing these things and you see it's not working. What are you going to do? Are you going to continue to do it? You're going to continue to follow the pattern of insanity because that's what insanity is, right? Doing the same thing over and over again and not receiving any results. We got to stop this. All right, you guys. So I want to go ahead and share with you all uh, something else as well. Um, and I believe this is very important. This is something that we need to make sure that we are implementing uh, daily for our children, as well as for ourselves. And what I'm talking about right now is that read aloud. All right. This is something that I promote because I absolutely enjoy. I love reading aloud. Uh, for those of you um, 
who don't know in my former life, uh, no, I'm being silly, but for real, back in the day, I would, I knew I was going to be an actress. That was going to be my thing, man. My family knew it. Um, I'm talented as hell when it comes to acting, you know, and uh, yeah, I'm just saying it, you know, humbly loud praises due to God. That's a talent that I have. And so I'm able though, since I didn't go that route. All right. Since I didn't go to Hollyweird, um, I actually can still implement my acting skills. And that's something that I do in the read aloud space. When I'm reading aloud, I, I love being able to, you know, read with expression and, you know, do different voices for the characters and just really get into the book. And that's something that our children need. And I wanted to talk about that because I had read an article earlier today by Andrea Davis Pinckney, who is a, a famous author. Her husband is a famous author. Her father-in-law, I think he just passed as, um, as well, a famous author. Uh, folk, she focuses on children's books, of course, African-American woman. And uh, one of the quotes that I wanted to uh, read from the article is she said this. She said, I applaud those who are taking special care to include more black books in their homes, schools and libraries, but to ignite stories and to bring the realities of racism, black history and social progress into the consciousness of kids. Young readers need to hear these stories spoken. And so when I read that, I mean, her, her article was great. I mean, it, it just touch me, you know, in, in, in all the ways that I love when it comes to talking about literacy. Because one of the things that, again, she talked about in the first uh, part of the, the quote that I got from her is, that's great. Please flood your homes with black books. Please flood your homes with books that got images that represent our children, our people, telling our story, giving our narrative. That's awesome. But what really needs to happen is that we have to make sure that we are reading aloud to our children, period. And so what I wanted to do actually was just give you all, these were five, actually it's going to be six tips and a couple of the tips I got from her article. And there are some that are from myself. And so one of the things, and I know I've said this before, um, in, in my previous like videos, and I'm probably even said it in previous episodes is that when reading aloud provides bonding with your children, it's such a special bond between that child and that parent or caregiver that it's just so close and it's just so, um, endearing, you know, and it, it just creates this vibe of just comfortability, relaxation, and those are the components that we need when it comes to promoting literacy to our children. They need to equate literacy with comfortability, with love, with caring, with nurturing. And so when you're reading aloud to your children, it does that. Like a prime example, like I've been reading the book, J.D. and the Great Barber Battle, and I've actually been reading um, the second one. I read the first one already to my children. I've been reading on my YouTube channels, Reading is Freedom and ABC Read. Please go like, subscribe, subscribe and share. And my children, my 12 year old and my 10 year old and my 16 year old, when he feels like coming in, uh, 
they have been enjoying it. I mean, it's like they'll get on my bed and get underneath my covers. And my son, he's a phenomenal artist. I have two phenomenal artists, by the way, my son, Yusuf, and my daughter, Asiya. And uh, Yusuf, he'll grab his, he's like, wait a minute, let me go get my, my art pad and my pencil. You know, and he gets ready, he gets in, you know, and he just gets into this like comfortable zone. And Sauda does the same thing. And again, 12-year-old and 10-year-old. And then it's like, and then when they're listening to the story, they're like, oh, well, mommy, let me tell you this part. Yeah, this reminded me of when, that's what you want. That is the engagement that you need. And that's what the engagement that you want. All right. Which leads me to the next tip. What happens when you are reading aloud and you make sure you guys have your notebook and pens and, and uh, pencils, whatever it is that you choose to write with, please jot these down. The second thing is the comprehension increases. All right. So again, just like I started to go into in terms of my daughter talking about uh, certain things that I was reading in the book. So when you can relate to something, when somebody is saying something and then it makes you think about something that you've experienced or something you've read or something that you've done somewhere else that's showing your comprehension is being activated. All right. That's what reading aloud does. The next thing, the next thing, which is connected to comprehension, it activates your prior knowledge. That's another aspect of reading. That's what happens. And in particular, reading aloud. So when they're hearing that spoken word, just like Andrea Davis Pickney talked about, that spoken word is the first thing that actually happens when a person is learning to read. Remember, learning to read occurs in the womb when they're hearing those voices, you're hearing the talking, you're hearing the reading. That's the first aspect. You're hearing the spoken word. That's where reading begins. So activating that prior knowledge, being able to hear those words being spoken in, from the book, and then it triggers a memory. Then you start thinking about, oh, I remember that hippocampus, right? I, 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 want, I wanted to use that word on purpose, y'all, because we went over the brain, different parts of the memory, um, me and my children, and so um, and we talked about the hippocampus and how that's, you know, that's dealing with the episodic memory. So it let, allows you to remember different uh, uh, episodes or things that has occurred in your life. You know, so, for example, if you went out of town with your family, that's your hippocampus being activated. Anyway, just wanted to share that. But, yeah, so that's number three, activates prior knowledge. Number four, you hear how you relate to the character. Okay. And I'm going to tell y'all, especially again, when you're reading those books that, uh, where the main character or the central characters are black people, or, you know, a black child, and then they start, and then they start, you know, listening to whatever it is, what's going on in the story. And then you're able to hear how, oh my gosh, I remember doing that. Oh man. Or Man, I had a friend like that, man. Like, yeah, man, he was crazy, you know, or, you know, she was so nice. Yeah, she reminded me of such and such character in the book. Again, all of that stuff is happening in the read aloud experience. The next thing, your prediction and your inferencing skills enhance. Okay, so prediction and inferencing skills, right? So your prediction is what? When you are able to say what you think is going to happen next. And in speaking of, I'm going to use this book, J.D. and the Great Barber Battle. Uh, that book is great for that because I love how each chapter will end to where it makes you want to, you know, find out what's going on next. And 
it's already spinning the wheels in my children's minds about, oh, okay. Oh, I think this is going to happen. You know, oh, I think JD, oh, I think he about to be mad, you know, or I think, you know, uh, his friend, uh, Jordan, you know, he's about to, you know, go do this, that, and the third, whatever the case may be. Okay. Or inferencing, you know, when you are, you know, able to figure out, or you make some, uh, uh, conclusions as to what is going on based off of the information that you see. Okay. Or the information that you're hearing, right. During the read aloud experience. So those are great skills to have because when you're doing that, it actually helps you to be prepared. Okay. And it actually helps you to think ahead. And it reminds me of something too that, um, and I'm gonna relate this to, uh, working out just like I do, uh, a workout with, uh, there's a, uh, a brother here. Matter of fact, they're twins. One brother owns a gym called the vault gym. And the other one, he started something called extreme hip hop. All right. And they, uh, you know, are high cardio, high intense cardio for both of them. One focuses on step, which is extreme hip hop. He does the step cardio. And the other one, uh, and their name is uh, Philip and Philippe Whedon. And the other one, brother, he has the gym called the Volt Gym. And he does a lot of high intense cardio. He also trains and he has other trainers there as well. Phenomenal. Both brothers, phenomenal. I'm so proud of them. But Philly, he would do something during the workouts to where he would call freestyle. And so like first, you know, we would, everybody would have to follow along with he, uh, the particular workout that we would be doing. Then the moment he says freestyle, that's when you have to come up with your own exercise. So if you want to do a jumping jack, you want to do a burpees, you want to do squats, you want to do push-ups, you want to do, uh, you know, uh, some jabs, some punches or something like that. And then he'll say freestyle. So then you got to change to the next workout. And what it's doing is actually helping you be prepared and thinking ahead about what you're going to do next instead of you trying to figure out. So if you already know in your mind that he's going to say freestyle and say you're in the midst of doing your burpees, you already got to be thinking in your mind, what exercise am I going to do next? That's a great skill. And that's something that happens in the reading experience, in the read aloud experience. So. I just wanted to share that, making that connection. And then the last thing, and this is something that Andrea said in the article, empowerment occurs in the black child. And that is so true. You know, when they're hearing the word, say if you're reading a book um, about Nat Turner and, you know, when your child is learning about Nat Turner and learning about, you know, how he got the people, you know, who was with him to go and do rightfully what he should have done you know, which was got rid of those enslavers and the, the horrible things they were doing. And you, and you hear your child is listening to the words about that book um, that's talking about and describing Nat Turner. Think about what that is doing to their souls, to their hearts. They're feeling that. And especially you're reading it with feeling. You're reading it with great expression. You're reading it as if, that was you, please. That child, man, they, they're going to walk away like, what, what, what? I'm on top of the world. I come from greatness. All right. And so that's what we want. So, and, and those are the things our children need. And don't, y'all don't slip on these things, man. These things are important. 
Don't let them, these folks try to tell you all that, you know, well, um, yeah, you know, all of that stuff you all are learning, that's fine, you know, um, but see, this is the real stuff you got to learn. And they start, you know, once again, feeding our children about all these white folks who are revolutionary and all these white folks who invented this and all these white folks who did that. But then you sitting up there, your black child got to sit in that classroom looking all like, damn, man, is there anything for me? Is there anybody that looked like me that did anything? Because that's what they saying. Either they're going to say it or they're going to they definitely feeling that. And so that's why it's very important that we surround our children with black history, black culture, black experiences and letting them know as much as possible. Every subject black folks have has a part in that subject. Talking about the sciences, talking about Dr. Patricia Bath and how she was the one who created that laser to get rid of the cataract out of our uh our people's eyes and how what made her do that because she saw a lot of African-Americans who had cataract and the thing that they were using at the time to get rid of the cataract was not effective and efficient. It was painful. Then she created something that was effective, quick, comfortable for the patient, a black woman, Dr. Patricia Bath or 3d. You talk about those 3d glasses and the option and the, and the ability to be able to see 3d uh, images Created by a black woman. I'm seeing her face right now. Oh my gosh, her name is escaping me right now. Oh, I can't stand it. I can't remember her name right now. It'll come to me though. But this is a black woman though, who created this. All right. You know, and, and of course, again, oh, the ice cream scoop. Our children love ice cream. Alfred Crawl. He was the one who developed or created, I should say, the ice cream scoop, the potato chip. All right. That was made by the brother's last name is Crumb. I remember that. All right. And so our people have done plenty of things. And so these are the things in which our black children and us as adults, we need to hear that and be reminded of that, too. So with all of that being said, I am going to end this episode. And I really hope that you all were inspired, empowered I uh, hope that you all learned something. And again, if, if there's any information that I made a mistake on, I first of all, I advise you all to go fact check. Anything that I tell you all, I'm giving you all information. Y'all know we got Google at the at our fingertips. Please go Google it. Please go find reputable sources. Please don't try to go to Wikipedia off the rip. Please don't. <laughs> okay. You know what I'm saying? Go to some reputable sources. All right. Um, so you can look up this information for you. So blackpass.org is a good source. I usually will get information from there. Um, and, I, and then too, there's information that I'll get. Um, I'm subscribed to a platform called Narrative, which was started by Karen Hunter. And she also has a little uh, a, a sub part to that platform called Nubia. And Professor Dr. Greg Carr, who is uh, an associate professor um, of Africana studies at Howard University. And that man, you talk about a wealth of knowledge, please. He's a freaking walking library. Y'all hear me for real. And I will get in, and I've gotten plenty of information from him, from him and book recommendations. I love how he'll reference books. That's one thing I appreciate about that man. That man will reference a book in a doggone minute. And that's, and that's the kind of people you want to be around. You want to be in them kind of circles, right? You want to be around people who are well-read. And even if they're not well-read, they're willing 
to go and research. They're not just going to be talking out the side of their neck and they're not just going to all, they're not going to be regurgitating what other people are saying that they got from a YouTube channel. They're literally are going to research. And that's what I do. When Dr. Greg Carr recommended, just like that book I just uh, referenced with why we can't wait, he referenced that book. And I said, let me get that book. Okay. So, but anyway, you have been listening to another episode of Real Reading Talk. Again, I am your most gracious host, Miss Sasha. And please remember to keep reading for at least 30 minutes a day. Episode 17, Season 2. Thank you for listening. Peace. Hey, peace, y'all. I hope that you all enjoyed that episode. I hope that you gained much benefit, benefit from that episode as well. And remember to, uh, number one, like I said before, please make sure that you are educating your children as well as yourselves about our culture, our history, and our experiences. Please make sure you are doing that unapologetically, daily. All right? And the next thing I wanted to mention is that if you are looking for a reading tutor for your pre-K through fourth grade student, please go to my website, abclearntutoring.com. Click on that free reading assessment. If your child needs help with comprehension, with fluency, with spelling, with even just that desire trying to help get your child to even want to read, these are things that I've helped with please check out my testimonial page. I write real testimonials from real folks who have gotten real results. And just a reminder too, in my, with my tutoring sessions, when I tutor, I'm not just disseminating information and giving the help to the student and then that's it. This is a whole family approach. This is a partnership. So I have high expectations from my students as well as the parents. So when I give assignments, I expect them to be done because that is how we're going to see results. The children who have gotten results and results in a, a, a quicker, quicker results is because they were actually doing those assignments that I would give. So that's something that I want you to think about when you are seeking out my services. Next thing, I am the founder and executive director of ABC Read. And that is our nonprofit organization. And our mission is to develop and nurture a culture of literacy in black and underserved communities. And I would love for you all to check, check us out what we're doing, abcread.org. We've given away over 2,500 books, y'all. We got already 300 plus books right now that we've purchased and books that folks have donated. And people have donated money as well. I mean, we, I'm telling y'all, ABC Read is here to fill in those gaps. We're here to help eradicate that illiteracy in the black and underserved communities. So please check us out. And we appreciate your donations. You can donate by going to our website, abcread.org. Click on that donate button. Or you can actually donate to our cash app, ABC Read. And last but not least, I wanted to share with you all uh, the book that I've been reading, which I said during the podcast, which is called Why We Can't Wait. And that is by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And also the quote. The quote is from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. 
which is freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. You have been listening to another episode of Real Reading Talk. I'm your host, Ms. Sasha, and please remember to keep reading for at least 30 minutes a day. Peace.